This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today, my guest is biomechanics specialist, fitness educator, gym owner, and drummer, Brandon Green. Many have come to discover Brandon's expertise through the name Drum Mechanics that he uses online, whether it's Instagram or on his YouTube page. And although not a full-time musician, Brandon does an excellent job in combining his passion for drumming and physical fitness in a way that works so well for those who are interested in playing drums for the rest of their life. If you want to support the podcast, you can join our Patreon page at patreon.com slash workingdrummer. For as little as a dollar a month, you can have access to all our educational content. In recent weeks, we've been adding quite a bit of content. That includes a video from former guests like Bruce Becker. He did a video just for us. We also have a video from former guest Brian Zach, where he goes into how to improve your ride swing patterns. And recent guest Mike Malone has five transcriptions of some amazing drummers and classic performances that he has made accessible to our Patreon members. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal. You can find that link on our website at workingdrummer.net. I feel like we're living in an incredible time where having an understanding of the benefits of fitness and an understanding of biomechanics and how it relates to drumming is beneficial to all of us. And Brandon does such a great job explaining that in a way that is easy to digest and easy to apply on a weekly basis. And again, if you are a drummer that wants to play for the rest of your life and you're not familiar with what Brandon is is putting out there, I encourage you to check out Drum Mechanics on his Instagram page and scroll through the videos as maybe just another way in addition to this episode to discover the things that he has to offer. But I really enjoyed speaking with Brandon, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Brandon Green. Brandon, man, thanks thanks for being here. I have listened to you on the Drum Candy podcast with Mike Dawson. I first heard you on Bart Vanderzee's podcast, Drum History. Uh, those two podcasts I encourage y'all to check out. Uh, back in, let me see, uh, August 25th and September 1st for Mike Dawson's Drum Candy. And in December of 2022 was Drum History with Bart Vanderzee. And I, I was just fired up. And I'm like, I need a little, a little bit of time to pass before I ask Brandon to be on as a guest being in our podcast network, the Drum Click. Uh, and I thought, you know, gosh, I just can't wait. So here we are. Uh, you know, roughly a, a nine months to a year after you've spoken to those guys. And I'm going to attempt to avoid a lot of the things that you guys discussed so I can get our listeners to go check out uh, Drum Candy and Drum History with you. Uh, we can continue the conversation uh, with you. But thanks, man, for taking uh, taking some time out of your day. I'm absolutely honored. And honestly, I love drumming. I love drummers and I love everything about it. So anything I can do to give back and help I'm just honored to. So thanks so much for the time and the platform. I really appreciate it. Sure. Tell us about you. Tell us about what you do, your titles, and kind of what's involved. Yeah. So I am not a professional working drummer, unlike the Working pod, working Drummer podcast title. Uh, I'm a working fitness professional with a ba background in biomechanics and motor learning. 
Uh, my titles, I'm a certified muscle system specialist. I'm a mastery level resistance training specialist and a litany of other crazy courses and education programs in the medical exercise world. Uh, I have my own brick and mortar personal training facility that specializes on working with people with chronic injuries, advanced diseases, and high-level athletes who get everything today. I've had everything today from NHL athletes to 80-year-old needing knee replacements. Uh, that gym is called Strata Internal Performance, and I got a great team of personal trainers here in a 4,000-square-foot gym just north of Toronto, where lately I've been having professional drummers come in and doing assessments. Well, that's been super cool. I have a second company called Fitness Pro Mentors, which is an online education company for personal trainers. I teach neurophysiology, um, post-activation potentiation related concepts, and then marketing to help in-person personal trainers like me to grow their business. Uh, so I'm busy. I mean, in May, I was in Portugal teaching exercise science and business to 300 people. Um, I was in May. Uh, I've been teaching online courses and all over the world in Canada for well, all over Canada for a long time. So the long story short for me, I'm just a nerdy fitness guy. I've been doing this for 18 years and I'm just happy to give back to drummers a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, man. So grateful to have you uh, in the community for sure. Uh, from listening to the episodes uh, in the past, I know you've got a family, but can you tell us kind of, do you have a typical week or how do you kind of manage your time with all this? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I have time management is tough, but my brick and mortar, uh, I've been doing it long enough. The gym's been open for almost nine years. So I have a pretty steady, like I see clients within these hours. I eat within these hours and my days are pretty consistent. Like it's pretty much eight to six, three days a week and then two shorter days. Uh, in there, I've got scheduled hours for doing my online marketing program for the trainers. Uh, I finish work consistently. So I've got family time. I get home today at six. So I'll be with the kids for two hours. And it's pretty routine. Truthfully, from a drumming perspective, I drum, I play on a Roland uh, TD-17, whatever the one with the open close hi-hat. I play 20 to 30 minutes every night where I practice because it's just my favorite thing to do. And then on the weekend, uh, where you're seeing up here, where I play my drums is actually over top of my gym. So I got a 400 square foot mezzanine over top of the gym, in the gym, the gym is right below me. And so I come and play drums in here for about an hour and a half every Saturday and Sunday. Uh, on top of my workout. So I come in here on the weekend, I work out, play drums, and then go home and do the family thing. Uh, oh and that's goodness. pretty much my life. That sounds like the best day for me. Like, I it's, just love that. It's great, man. It's great. It's just a fun playground to work it out and then drumming and then family. It's good. And then sushi in between there too, because I mean, you need sushi, you need whiskey, it's fuel. <laughs> Again, dude, it's just, you're, you're living the life. I love this. Uh, we, as we discussed before we started recording, I, I, you know, it's like working out, being just having a routine for me is part of my MO. It's, it feeds my soul physically, mentally, you know, it's like making sure I have the right music, making sure that, you know, I'm doing all this stuff. And, you know, at, at my age, over 50, wanting to continue to play and I'm playing a lot and the physical demands are just undeniable. And so to create a symbiotic relationship between those things has been just more important than ever. And so over the last uh, few years, we've had a chance to uh, make that a part of our topic on the podcast and use our podcast uh, between Zach and I uh, to uh, kind of explore some of these concepts that are important to us and as we're discovering important to our listeners as well. 
Um, a personal trainer that I worked with, who's a, a, a drummer as well, is a guest we've had on, Aaron Apter, who worked with me. We did some uh, work together, and that was very helpful in not only getting me into a routine, but also educating me. And I just have to say, that's one thing I really appreciate, the way you present yourself online on your Instagram posts, on YouTube, on your podcasts that you've done, is that you're not afraid to shy away from the terminology. And if it's something that I'm not really 100% sure about, I can look it up or you just repeat it. And 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 that just has a level of respect that I, I really appreciate. Sorry, just that's really not a question in there, but <laughs> I, we'll get into that uh, for sure. But the other question I had is, is when you were coming up without going into great detail of your history, did you see yourself marrying these two passions? No. <laughs> no, not at all. So truthfully, my entire mission when I was a kid was I was going to be a professional drummer, hands down. Uh, I remember my grade 12 year of high school, I had a spare, I put it in the morning, my mom would leave work for work early, and I would practice drums from 7am until 10 o'clock every morning. And I was planning on applying to our local jazz school. And it was 100% my game plan. I come from a deep family of business entrepreneur people. And when I told some of these entrepreneur people my game plan, they brought me over to their friend's house that was an accountant who had a couple drummers as clients. And he said, listen, I'm just going to show you something. These are professional drummers. And there's a chance you might not be able to afford a house real soon. If you get into drumming, I'd suggest you go a different direction. So I was scared white because never heard that. So I actually uh, started going down a different road. I was actually going to be a firefighter. And then I discovered all this physics around biomechanics uh, by doing a co-op at a local gym. And it just blew my mind because... I was into exercising. I was doing natural bodybuilding at the time, but what really blew my mind so much more, which is extending into what you're seeing now with the drum mechanic stuff, was that the human body has inherent limitations and rules, right? There are bones, we have skeletal muscle, nerves, and all these different tissues that create a mechanical grown together system. And if someone has an injury or a problem or a limitation or a tendonitis or whatever it is, the more we understand about the body, and the more we can apply classical mechanics ideas to it, the more you can make miraculous, customized changes to an individual. And so I started off really young. I've said this before, but working with like geriatrics who were struggling with major joint problems when I was like 18 years old using exercise. So I loved it. I love helping people. Day to day, I work with people with catastrophic problems like cardiovascular, major cardiovascular disease. Like basically, this if they don't come here, they are going to slow down even more and it's not going to be good. I do that every day. But I never thought about it with drumming. I mean, it really started in 2017. My best, one of my best buddies who was a drummer, the local drummer in town said, F the drums. I hurt my back from playing the drums. I'm never playing again. And I was like, Frank that. No way, man. <laughs> and so I started trying to educate people because part of my biomechanics background was I had to study exercise machines and we had to go deep, deep, deep into mechanical analysis of when you put a human body into a machine between the support, the restraints and the reaction forces, understanding the cams and torque and rotational inertia. I had to learn all that stuff. And to me, it was just like, well, I'm putting a human body into a drum set. The same rules apply, but they're even simpler because it's just flat things and there's no gears or pulleys. So the last few years have been really trying to devote people to that. And now after the ergonomic conversation, I had no idea so many people were interested in the fitness side of it. And now it's just been kind of this really natural progression between understanding the body, ergonomics, baseline tolerance levels, and then fitness. It's just this nice smooth continuum, which is a lot of fun. 
Yeah, it is amazing how just, again, symbiotic these two things are. And you made an announcement not that long ago about a drum mechanics podcast. Can you tell us uh, kind of the state of that right now? Yeah, I'll be honest. I had three guests lined up and they all fell through. <laughs> so uh, I'll, hear, I'll tell you what, I'm going to jump further ahead and then I'll come back to that. Okay. Um, the Right now, my game plan, as you said, you mentioned some, you made some comments on just seeing my social media. At the moment right now, I'm trying to just build stock. I'm trying to just help people as much as I can, but also just also build some authority so people believe and respect what I have to share. Um, so I'm just making a bunch of debits into the social media world and it's people are really liking it. And I'm just trying to give back as much as I can. Um, I am going to be launching some form of a membership website, not because I have any intentions of making that a business. I don't need another full business, but somewhere where I can go full on and dump like full resources of information, like get into the full physics of the drum set. Uh, my buddy who's a neuroplastic, sorry, a neurophysiologist, uh, and he's a saxophone player. He can get into the actual science of the neurophysiology of playing an instrument and you know his interpretation of repetitive strain injuries. My buddy is a nuclear engineer. We can actually go deep into the physics of sticks mechanics and all that. And even maybe even monthly workouts where it'll be something that's specific to drummers that can be done just with body weight. So I'm really excited about that idea. And so when that starts to become more ready, the Drum Mechanics podcast will be a thing because I want another area to share more information. Right at the moment, forgetting about that business idea, drummers and musicians do deserve one thing. If you go online on YouTube and you look up for information on having a shoulder injury, back injury, you can find a litany of people who are giving information away, giving it away. But with drummers there seems to be a lot of gatekeeping around more niche-specific things that could help someone understand how high to sit or where they should put their feet on their pedals. And that's okay. But truthfully, much like the, many universities, Khan University giving away information, I think there should be a baseline level of knowledge that all drummers should have access to. If you don't want to get hurt plating the drums, I hope I can help you by just looking at my free stuff. If you want to figure out what angle you should put your snare drum just so you can do what you like to do, I think that should be free. I don't think that should be special. Because truthfully, our body is the one thing that's going to let us play music forever. It is the thing. If we have an injury or something that stops us, we can't play. But with the right resources, we can play forever. And I want to personally want to make sure that everyone has everything they need to do this forever. Because like you, you're a working musician, right? The Working Drummers podcast. Let's keep working. Let's keep doing this because you're making people move and feel stuff. I love it. Well, I think the the, the thing that I'm I'm hearing from you is... Like, let's provide information before there's an injury, before there's an issue. Let's make this a part of our journey from the get-go. The same reason why you learn uh, to play paradiddle. You know, it's like me, before you even know its practical applications, someone in authority or a teacher or whatever, you're learning to do this. So why not, like, understand your... Uh, approach to seat height and snare you know angle and and just you had a you had a, a great video on uh stick size and different things like that and just kind of how that reverberates in the body and you know i just this is what excites me about a uh, new generation of drummers coming up and this the science behind it because i'm coming from it you know, on the other end of things. And it's like, wait a minute. Okay. Why am I dealing with this and that now I'm finding answers in hindsight. And I don't, I, I don't wish that upon anyone, 
so it, I love this idea. And also you mentioned uh, nuclear engineer, which is what my son is studying. Uh, sick. So I'm wondering if maybe I could tap some knowledge from him to help me improve my drumming. But I mean, there, he goes deep into some physics stuff. And so yeah. I mean, he gets into material science and it gets pretty crazy. Once you get past statics and dynamics, you're pretty much good to go. So I'm sure he's got some of that. Um, yeah. You said something that was important and, and it's, it's a big thing with my actual career. And I think it's something that all drummers need to hear. So anyone that's listening to this, please give me two more minutes of your time at least. Right now, I mean, our traditional medical model for dealing with any problems, because most of the people I see are uh, clients that are paying me are over the age of 65. Mm. And most of them have had a heart event. They've had a joint replacement. They've had a cancer. They've had something that has almost taken them out and stopped them from doing what they love to do. Living, playing their instruments, playing music, whatever it is, uh, living their day-to-day, pick up their grandkids. Most of them did not look into their family history, did not determine that their father had a heart condition, and did not start training to have healthier heart at a young age, but they just lived their life day-to-day. And just like their father, they had a heart problem. Just like their mother, they had an orthopedic problem in a very similar scenario. And so there's a great book by Peter Atia, which is a very popular podcaster right now. Uh, he's a medical professional. He's brilliant. His book's called Outlive. And he talks about this medicine 2.0 model. That's a reactionary medical model. You have a problem. It hurts here. I put a Band-Aid on. You're good. Go back to the world. I'd encourage all drummers to do everything they can to be proactive. Because if you know that Neil Pert stopped touring for a long time because he had a back problem, it's not just that, and many other drummers like Dave Silva and Phil Collins, it's not like, well, drummers just get bad backs. There's actual evidence. There's actual mechanical things that limit someone's back and can lead to back problems. Because there's many of seated athletes, there's many seated athletes, many people who sit all day that have no back problems. But why is it just drummers? Well, there might be some reasons for that. And if we can learn about that, then we can play drums forever. I believe every drummer, in my opinion, should be exercising. Why? Right now, the only exercise a lot of drummers get is what they do with their hands when they're practicing and playing. That's okay. But your tolerance levels are only going to be that of what you've learned and experienced on the drums. If you go to other controlled environments, you can build up those tolerance levels to make sure you don't get the carpal tunnels. You make sure you don't get the plantar fasciitis. You can get past all this stuff. Personally, for me, I was deep into bodybuilding, big time. I was obsessed. I did a couple shows, very cool experience, all natural bodybuilding stuff, but very cool. And then I found out just three years ago, my great-grandfather, my grandfather, and my dad all had major heart problems. And until that point, I didn't realize. I have switched. I'm 100% focused on a VO2 max heart rate mastery level program for me. And my body composition has changed completely. But my heart rate, resting heart rate's down to like 15 BPM, uh, almost 20 BPM. I've never felt better. I've never been leaner and stronger and more capable. And I'm focusing on that now because they're having heart problems in the future and they didn't work on it. And if I can put the work in now. Have you noticed the effect on your playing and your endurance level with this change? I have. Personally, I have. Yeah. So I was playing, I mean, I was deadlifting 500 pounds and squatting lots of weight, like going heavy. I still lift heavy, but not as often. Now, I mean, I've been practicing a lot of double bass stuff lately because I'm just in this Virgil Donati phase again. I don't get winded at all. My heart rate doesn't go over and I'm playing hard, like 109 ever. I was checking it over the weekend. And it's just because I put so much work into it that doing hip flexion based double bass or ankle or anything is hard, but it's not exhausting. And it's allowing me to play, 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 and then go play with my kids and not be tired. It has life benefits and drumming benefits for sure. I mentioned to you before we started that I had you know, took some time today to go to the YMCA and do my daily routine. And I was talking with one of the people 
at the front desk and uh, mentioned that we were going to have this uh, podcast interview today. I was very excited. And uh, he reminded me that Chester Thompson is a member of this Y. And uh, he goes, he goes, last time he was in here, he had a back brace and he was working on something. I was like, I know he had a car accident about 20 years ago um, when we first met, but uh, gosh, I'm not surprised. I mean, I don't remember him sitting as low as Phil sat, but I remember the drum set being huge. I wanted to I wanted to spell that because I think and I, and I don't know if I've done this by accident or but there's an I think the idea is that if you got a bad back from drumming it's from sitting too low yeah and it really isn't just that that is the simplest place to see it because you see that kind of like I'm sitting collapsed with my head forward like you see that kind of common buddy rich posture yeah it's not about it's not about too high or too low what it's about is if you're sitting on one end of the extreme and your lower back is moving while you're performing Mm -hmm. that's the problem, right? There are people who are sitting with their hip at a 45 degree angle quite high and they play on their lower back, doesn't move at all. Great. Ringo Starr, he's at really, really high. He would dance up there, but his lower back wouldn't move. As far as I know, Ringo doesn't have a lower back problem. There's other people, like I did a little video of a specific drummer, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. He was sitting really low, but he watched his lower back. It was pencil straight. There was no motion that you could observe and he was shirtless. Sure. So... It's not about high or low, but what it is about what position are you in where you don't see any side to side deviation or front to back deviation. And so there's this nice hip angle, in my opinion, somewhere between an 80 degree and a 75 degree angle that is like you're not sitting too high, you're not sitting too low. The majority of your weight is through the center of your mass, through the throne. You can actually lift your legs up and move them equally. You don't have to lean back or side to side to perform and your lower back doesn't move. And that's where I like to play. And that's where I teach most people to look at considering playing. But there are people who can sit super low and have crazy hip mobility that are good. And so who are really tall and are also really heavy in the thorax with light legs and they can make that work. Yeah. And so this is the thing, right? It's, it's really easy to be like, Brand's great about talking about drum thrones and he's going to talk about people sitting too low. It's not about that, right? It's about that's one element and that's an easy place to see it because you see the hunched over Buddy Rich, thing, Buddy Rich thing that we've talked about. What it really comes down to is we have to get good at assessing our bodies to identify where we can sit. And then where I do sit, is that conducive to the type of performing that I want to do? Like for me, double the height I'm playing at, I'm sitting back enough on my throne that I can actually play double bass and do intricate stuff at 200 BPM and I'm okay. But if I was sitting too high and too much of my weight was going down through my feet, that'd be impossible because I'd be <laughs> moving through my lower back, adjusting my center of mass and trying to find some ability to generate force. Anyway, well, that was a bit of a rant. You're, you're, no, no, no. This is great because uh, one of the things that I, I discovered and, and been practicing, even sitting behind my practice pad with a chair that kind of simulates a drum throne, gives me that height and allows me to think about where I'm sitting on the throne. And this is something that, uh, again, in discussions on the podcast or some other things you have helped bring to light is kind of where my weight and where my mass is. And that allows my hip flexors to move more free when I'm sitting center on the on the throne. And to me, not only does that translate into more mobility in the hip flexors, but it also helps reduce tension in the rest of my body if i'm balanced there and for me uh, i think daniel glass mentions if you grew up learning to play drums using tension as a tool 
then injury is more, you're more susceptible. I'm paraphrasing. You're more susceptible to these types of injuries. And, and, and I feel like I'm in that camp. So I've been deconstructing my playing to get rid of tension, to be able to play with power, speed, but get rid of that tension. And one of the ways is where I'm sitting, where my butt is on the throne, you know, not on the edge, but there to, to, to kind of, get that so it's yeah part of it is height but like where can you be so that your uh mass is there you know it's funny because i did a little video i think you maybe saw it but i put scales on the ground and i did the example of how heavy the so i got a lot of backlash for that video from people who were advocates of sitting on the edge of the throne and that's fine I'll, i'll position this is if you look into chair and sitting ergonomics forgetting about the drums there's a ton of great literature showing that you want to put more weight through your feet when you're sitting, because it does help to reduce stress in your back. That does make perfect sense. But the challenge that we have is if we want to ever, ever play two notes simultaneously with our feet. So let's not even play double bass. We're just playing quarters with our foot. We're just playing four on the floor, right? And we need to lift both legs or both feet. Forget about whole legs. I'm exaggerating, but even just do a quick little panter flexion. Would you want your leg to weigh 18 pounds or 35 pounds, 36 pounds total or 72 pounds total? Yeah. And that's the difference that I had when I sat on the edge versus the front. For me, I'm strong and I've got good endurance, but that's double the difference. And that means every time you play a bass drum stroke, yeah, you're going to get the power from dropping your leg weight, but you got to pick it up. And if you're playing in the studio and you're just trying to smash the bass drum because you want to get that huge loud note for a one song, that's fine. But if you're on tour like you are and you're playing for an hour and you're picking up 36 pounds, 200 times per song and you do multiple that's crazy let alone double bass guys i've been really fascinated and anyone i think if anyone wants to watch uh, look at old terry obasio videos from behind uh grant collins is another guy that plays one of those monster drum sets with all the different pedals but if you watch them from behind play i'm not trying to be creepy here you watch them from behind right they're moving their feet around playing crazy double strokes and really fast techniques their lower back and their butt is right centered planted. And it's because they can move their legs in and out. Like even right now, like I'm, you know, I'm moving my legs in and out on the chair without moving my upper back. And it's because all the weight's going right down through the center. So I'm glad you're experiencing that. I think it's such a, a liberating phenomenon. And it's interesting. You said uh, drummers who use tension. I can't remember the prayer, I'm paraphrasing, but kind of would lead to a negative scenario. I think that's a, I think that's a great quote, but there's a component of that that I want to make sure drummers are aware of that. Like you might be working on an exercise with your lower body and you might experience fatigue based tension and that's okay. You know what I mean? Like when you go to the gym, you're like, Oh, these are tight and it's burning. That's totally okay. But it's important if you're in a practice room and you're playing a bass drum pattern and your foot starts to get tired, your hip flexor starts to get tired. That's when you got to take a break and let it recover. Because if you're just smashing and pushing through that tension, that's where the repetitive strain injuries start to come from. I don't think there's anything wrong with tension if strategically used, but it's when it's like, if someone's like constantly muscling everything out, that's when it becomes a bigger problem, if that makes sense. No, it, it does. I think one of the things I wanted to unpack was kind of some of these uh, common knowledge uh, philosophies that we use in the gym where we do things in sets. And then, you know, for anybody that has spent any time in the gym, you understand, you know, you're doing a certain number of reps for a set. You take a break, you know, and, and at the base knowledge of this is you're letting your muscle recover so that you can come back and do another set with good form. And so I I feel like there's ways to practice drums 
much in the same way that we approach fitness, yeah. whether it's weightlifting or even doing interval training or different types of things like that, because you have talked about different types of cardio work. And one of them is being like this consistent running, uh, which I enjoy. There's the meditative quality of it, but then there's interval training, that burst of energy for like a two minute sprint and then 60 seconds of rest, you know, just as a loose example. But yes. The, the, the science behind that compared to just running three miles straight or again, going back to the sets and the, and the, and the reps, uh, and, and I, I, in, in kind of preparing for our conversation, I thought, how does that translate to the way I practice? Because I'm one of those weird guys that likes to practice, but also in addition to some of the, a uh, little bit of the touring I'm doing, if you're a drummer in Nashville and you're playing locally, or if you're playing the lower Broadway scene, which I know we have a lot of listeners that do, and I do. Uh, regularly you're playing three and a half to four hours straight yes and and some some players are doing it multiple times a day uh multiple times a week i mean the physical strain is insane it's insane so how do you balance the practice the work and the rest so I would say this as a quick Coles notes for anybody that wants to go deeper if you look up three energy systems in the body you will start to learn about the different three different phases that the human body operates as far as how it uses energy and expends energy. And there's different types of cardio and different types. I shouldn't say cardio. There's different types of ways to stress the body to elicit different responses. And so there's some really, really great visual charts here. And I'm just kind of looking at my notes here to make sure I've got these ratios correct. But you have uh, what's called ATP to ATP PC system, excuse me, which is where from zero to 15 seconds of work, your body uses just with the ATP and the creatine phosphate, that's just available right away. So forgetting what those words mean is you do a powerlifting set, right? You do like one to three reps. That is less than 15 seconds. Your body is just using whatever nutrients and food is available. Right after you get the 15 second mark, you start to end up into this kind of anaerobic glycolysis, which is where your body starts to use localized sugars and a little bit more oxygen starts to recover some of the energy from the original phase. And it's a little bit more work, but it's when you start to lose your breath a little bit. And then once you get past that, you get to these longer term oxidative systems, which is way more oxygen-based demand. Now let's forget the words for a second, but we've got like this short-term work phase that just uses whatever your body has available. That's 15 seconds. Then you've got longer phases that uses glucose, sugar, a few other things in oxygen for longer, like two minutes. And then you've got where your body is learning how to use energy for longer periods of time. Why that's important is because when we come back to the gym stuff, drummers, I shouldn't say drummers, most people I know who go to the gym, go in and do the same kind of like men's fitness workout or a bodybuilding workout, like a bro split, like chest, lower back, sorry, chest, upper back, arms, legs, shoulders. And they do like, 10 to 15 reps or 8 to 12 reps. Or maybe they do some super steady style workout. And the sets really never go past 40 seconds at a time. That's all fine because you're going to get muscular adaptations. But if we're trying to actually get like an energy system boost so we can actually play the drums and just be, feel good, we're yes. never really preparing for that because we're always preparing for like this 45 second thing. And then we do it in our biceps, which of all the muscle groups like why, why are we training biceps? Because what is biceps doing within the drumming world? It's doing something, but not at the level where we need to spend 25 minutes on biceps. And most drummers are not doing forearm work or lower ankle work or hip flexor work, right? They're pretty much doing like 
glutes and shoulders and things that make them look like bodybuilders or a ton of core stuff like men's health and fitness. So to answer your question, that's why I mentioned the three energy system thing and look at different exercise strategies to bias those energy systems. Because if we look at it and we go, okay, we've got this kind of 30 second to two minute window and then the two minute plus. I think drummers, if they want to actually exercise to improve their drumming, we need to hang out in those more endurance-based windows. I still do powerlifting. I still I deadlift a lot of weights. Still, I love it. It's so much fun. I love picking up heavy stuff. But it really doesn't transfer because I don't really do anything on the drums where I need a ton of lower back strength and glute strength for five seconds. I really don't. But, it, but, but I, you also know. But we also know that that type of heavy lifting and muscle building does not impede your playing. There's a myth. does not. Yes. Yeah, does not. So we 100%. just make sure we, we, we so I, I know you're, you're saying we're focusing on this area of fitness, but it's not because uh, building muscle or building does affects you in a negative way, which is, which is a myth. So if, I mean, just, we've got a lot to talk about in a short amount of time, but I just want to make sure we address that. Real yeah. And that's a huge one. I'm so glad you said that. Thank you. Because I, there has been a myth where I've talked to drummers years ago and they're like, well, I don't want to get too bulky because it's going to slow me down. Yeah. I don't want to do heavy, slow things because it's going to slow me down. In fact, it doesn't, right? The equation for force is mass times acceleration. And so if you load yourself with a ton of physics, ton, heavy deadlift, and you're going super slow, the acceleration is super slow because you're dealing with all this mass, right? We're actually getting into torque there, but we'll go with the mass. Right? So when you take away the heavy weight, if you actually practice going a little fast without the mass, you can achieve that same output. Let's say I weigh 180 pounds. I can pick up 400 pounds. That's 580 pounds. This equation doesn't work to anyone that knows physics, but just play my game for a second, right? When I stand up with the 400 pounds, right, I'm standing up in a similar motion like I were going to jump, but I can't jump because I got 400 pounds plus my 180 pushing me down to the ground. So if I put that one, that 400 pounds down and now I've decreased my mass by two thirds and I do the exact same motion and try and jump and I practice it just a little, I should be able to jump higher but then when I had the weight, it doesn't mean it's going to slow me down or limit my jump. So yeah. this heavy weight, this heavy weight, right? And this is where I have the rope and I'm holding a rope in my hands and I'm doing a tug of war between both hands, right? Just for you and I, if I pull on the rope, this is a contraction for a bicep curl. This is for doing uh, holding a drumstick. This is for deadlifting, right? Our body speaks through tension and it looks the same on the inside. We just have this crazy idea that if I'm holding a heavy bar, it's going to do something different than if I'm holding a light drumstick. There is some energy system stuff, but it's still influencing muscle. It's just on a different end of the continuum. Yeah, interesting. Uh, going back to the endurance thing, uh, one thing that I felt inspired to do uh, based on uh, a lot of the things you've been presenting online is uh, kind of setting a, a song length type of thing, whether it's like working on something on the practice pad, two, three minutes, because this is the amount of time that I need to get from the beginning of this song to the end, typically for the the pop Western style music that I'm playing. Um, no ragas here. Uh, and so the other thing is, uh, at, in the gym yesterday, uh, I did that where I held my arms. I had, a, I think, maybe five pound weights in each hand, and I did shoulder extensions, and I set my phone for two minutes to, you know, just like build that space for those two minutes. So these are kind of the things that... Because, you know, it's like, I want that strength. I want that this kind of, but it's like drumming is the most important thing for me to be good at where so that 
what I do at the gym, that has to be the tip of the spear for where I focus my energy and song length and endurance is part of that. Could you speak and to I, that? Yeah, I think that's a really logical way to approach things. And there's so much to it. So whenever I talk to any drummer, there are three things to figure out, if, like to make sure that they're healthy as possible. One, they need to make sure that the geometry that's around them matches their egocentric body. Good. So let's just say that the drum set is ergonomically set up perfectly for you. Great. You need two levels of fitness, in my opinion. And one is bonus, but that's what you're doing. The next level of the exercise after ergonomics is, do you have the tolerance levels to do what you want to do? Can you play the wedding gig? You need to play for 45 minutes. Have you prepared for that? Practice that. The third level is, I would say, extra levels of fitness, making sure that you have grown muscle and you've gotten stronger and bigger. So you're prepared for whatever comes to you. What you just said with the energy system stuff, I think that's perfect. I think drummers just need to go in and go, okay, in my workout, first of all, what is the goal of my working out? Am I working out because I want to be a bodybuilder? Am I working out because I want to do a marathon? Or am I working out because I want to improve my drumming? I'm hoping everyone here has a bit of a bias where the longevity of their drumming career is important. Then we have to reverse engineer. What are the things that are going to be take me out? What's going to stop me from playing the drums? If I was going to have a, something fail on the gig, is it going to be my tires? Is it going to be my brakes? Well, for a lot of drummers, I've been hearing, and you can maybe jump in, but I've been hearing lower backs, hips, and hands seizing up. This seems to be like the big three things. I, oh, and neck tension seems to be a fourth thing. But if you know, you try and play a gig, 45 minutes into it, your right hand starts seizing up. Okay, cool. We have a crime scene now. Is it that your technique was so poor from a drum end that you were not you were not letting the drumstick do what it's going to do, therefore increasing your muscular demand? Let's say technique's not a problem. Then it's just endurance. Great. Now let's focus on building the endurance of your hands and make sure that that is not a problem. Right now I'm on these Virgil Donati double bass things where I'm practicing a lot of hurtas switching back and forth between right and left. It's coming along, but I'm using this exact same thing. I practice the hurtas, getting them dialed in, quantize as much as I can to be locked into a metronome. Then my right, sorry, my left shin, tibialis anterior dorsiflexors, fatigued first. So later that day, I went down the gym floor. I have a tibialis anterior machine, and I've been working on it on the left side. Now, it's still getting tired three weeks later, but I'm working on it because I know that's the weakest link in that thing because my technique's good and everything else. So I love what you just said, man. And I think that's absolutely brilliant. But I think we have to be our own detectives unless you've got someone really good to observe you. Play. What are you feeling? Are you out of breath? Can you do something voluntarily to breathe differently now? No. Let's go work on breathing off the drum set. Is my forearm seizing up? So on and so forth. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it, it's nice to get validation for the work that I'm doing. But at the same time, the, the, the goal here is to make sure that you... W- Everyone is 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 hearing that you've got this information that uh, that is available, that is now uh, fortunately trending this day and age that we can access this information, and that we can continue to to play. Uh, one of the things that I I really uh, have discovered is, as far as uh, we mentioned uh, early on that um, you know. A few years ago, I was dealing with some weakness in the left arm. So over time, I've been concentrating on improving that and, you know, working on those. And so the uh, the go-to is to to stretch. And uh, and then in doing some research and digging, I'm coming across some some information and also a video of you and talking about this stretching and just how passive stretching 
actually cause weakness. So I was wondering if you could talk about that, this uh, post-activation potentiation that uh, when I worked with my friend Aaron Apter, we worked on that as well. So I had a little bit of background in that and uh, some very simple concepts that you introduce is pushing that stick on the hi-hat on the top for, you know, two seconds. You can explain it much better than, than I can. So if you could take it from here. How and... deep you want to go? <laughs> we got about 15 minutes. So uh, <laughs> I think the thing that I love about this and what I wanted to kind of dive into this was because I felt an improvement almost immediately in my <laughs> Yes. Okay. So I'm going to smash this as fast as I can. And if anyone has any questions, they can hit me up anytime and you can do your own research. So please don't believe me. So first and foremost, when I talk about stretching, there's lots of different types of stretching. There's active and passive stretching. I say stretching because it's an easy sound, but I'm truly talking about passive stretching. So if I move my wrist and I pull my wrist back, when I move my wrist back and I have nothing touching it, that is active range of motion, right? My body and my skeletal muscles pulling me there. This is what I have immediate control over. Passive range of motion is when someone takes a force and applies, pushes themselves further back than they can go. So being simple for a second, if I said, hey, Matt, take your car door, open it as far as you can, and you know what? If you don't like how far it goes, push it a little bit harder on the seams, right? And maybe nothing would happen, but if you did that every day for a year, that would start to break and something would start to give and the door wouldn't close properly. So the reason why I say that is that of all the tissues in our body, if we think about anything that's involved with wrist extension, right? I have cartilage, I have skeletal muscle, I have nerves, I have arteries, I have skin, I have bones. I've got all these things. Not many of them have very good elastic properties contrary to popular belief, right? Everyone believes that muscles are stretchy like an elastic band. They are not. They're made up of myosin and actin and have a sarcoplasmic reticulum that wraps around them and all of which has some give. It's much more like a Chinese finger trap in how it changes shape which means it's like this rope in that it's very firm. And if I smush it together, the little ropes kind of push up. And that's where when I flex a bicep, it goes up and then it goes down. It's much more like a Chinese finger trap and how it orchestrates and moves. So muscles do change shape. They do change length. But instead of thinking of length, they change in orientation. They're like a Tetris game that's constantly changing and they only go one direction. Mm -hmm. So if we have, if I know that my wrist can only go so far and my cartilage my muscles, my nervous system, everything that governs how far I can go voluntarily is stopping me here. Don't you think it might be a good idea to not go further than what I got? Yeah, right. So now, fine. So let's just put that idea aside. So then the more important one, right, is let's, so we have a lot of risk of injury there. Two, when we go to warm up and we stretch, the idea is that I'm preparing my body to play the drums, right? I'm doing these stretches so I can play the drums better. When I play the drums, forgetting about stretching, it is a combination of how well my body generates tension in a given second, precisely using different hand grips or foot techniques or whatever it is. And I need to be able to generate force quickly. The rate has to be very high on demand. So therefore, if I'm holding a drumstick and I have a fulcrum between my index finger and my thumb and I've got these three fingers performing, I want the force, the, the pressure between my index finger and thumb to be as high as possible and my fingers to be able to operate or my wrist, whatever stroke you're playing, as fast as I want, as fast as I have available. And the stronger I am at that, the better I'm going to be. So when I get to these end ranges of how far my muscle can go, and I push it further back and I'm yanking and I feel that tension feeling. We all have been conditioned because of our gym coaches to say that that is a good feeling. 
But when we get to that end range, you're not feeling like tension leaving the body. You're actually feeling the material end of your rope that is as far as this thing can go. Therefore, our nervous system, you know when you stub your toe? Mm-hmm. What do you do when you stub your toe besides scream mother bloody murder, right? You start limping. The big toe hurts. Therefore, you get the weight off of the sore foot and you put it on the other side. Your body orchestrates tension and movement to avoid the thing that sucks to go to the limb that feels good. Therefore, if I stretch something long enough and it's unpleasant and tight and further than I can go actively, our nervous system is going to dampen forced production in that area and put resources elsewhere to help us out. But all it knows is I don't like how this feels. This hurts under here. This is tension. My, I can't even go here. Therefore, most of the literature shows that passive stretching acutely, at least, at least short term, decreases force production, rate of speed, and endurance. It ultimately makes you weaker by performing it. Now, here's the reason why people like it is because if you yank on it long enough, sometimes the removal of the stress feels good. It also does sometimes allow you to move a little bit further. But if you have more motion available, but your force production has dropped, this means that you have now more car door open ability, but you have nothing to stop it from swinging open. Therefore, that post-activation potentiation phenomenon is actually something that me and my colleagues, I have a good friend named Charlie McMillan, who's PhD, MS, MS, he's brilliant. Uh, he actually exposed it to me when we were studying something else around manual muscle testing. And what it is, is that when you contract skeletal muscle in a short dose at a high level, look it up, please don't believe me, anybody listening. If you contract the muscles in a short dose and you don't fatigue it and you don't cause pain, your body will go through a me- mechanism in where it increases force production of that muscle. And this is a very natural mechanism. If you think about when you walk down the stairs when you first wake up in the morning, right? My quads, I can leg extend 100 pounds with one leg or whatever the hell, but let's go with that. When I walk down in the morning, my body is not fired up, ready to use 200 pounds of force. I've been sleeping. My body is depotentiated, if you will. There's less oxygen in my muscle. There's less food. So I would start walking down the stairs doing going down the stairs, eccentric lowering, and my body contracts my quad. And then it contracts it a little bit more and a little bit more. And it actually prepares my body for the next contraction. In fact, forgetting about that, every morning everyone does one of these, right? These active stretches, this is called pendiculation. It's still, we call it an active stretch, but pendiculation, your body's contracting all these muscles to prepare them to be used. Right. Our body uses tension to communicate and generate force. The idea of post-activation potentiation with short dose contractions is we increase calcium sensitivity, there's increased phosphorylization, there's increased nervous system activity, excitation through something called H reflex, and there's also a change in the penation angle, but that's a whole other nerdy. All that matters is that when you do post-activation potentiation, I shouldn't say that, but you contract your muscles, if you don't tire them out and you don't hurt them, your muscles get better at doing what they do. And so in my gym, there are hundreds of people that come here. I don't teach stretching to anybody, but everybody has incredible mobility and incredible strength. Now, I will say this just anybody that's listening to this. I think there's a time and place where stretching can be appropriate. In fact, there are doses of times that it can be in injury and rehab states and post-surgery and so on and so forth. But I will say this confidently. If you want to prepare your muscles to play drums better, stretching passively is not the answer but it is a cultural norm and that's where we are 
there's so much more to that that I could go into, but that's kind of like the... You just could have said that, Brandon. I don't know <laughs> all this other... Uh, you're, talking you're talking science, man. And it's, Let's and go, I, drummers. I remember when I was working with Aaron Apter, I mean, he goes, think about what your dad's doctor told him that was good advice at the time and how outdated that sounded. Now, Smoking about, was good. Right. right. They said smoking was good. That's a perfect example. Yeah. Yeah. My dad's doctor said, uh, all the nutrition you need, you need is in a Wendy's single hamburger. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, dear God. Uh, so that seems absurd to us. But you think about something from 20, 15, 10 years ago. Um, there, it's more nuanced, but at the same time, this is science. Science is progressive. We come back to the table with, with new and fresh ideas. It's, it's ever evolving. It's really hard to give up these things. I see a lot of uh, people even older than me uh, at the gym doing things. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're going to kill yourself. But that looks like something from the 1920s. Uh, but, yeah. but, 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 but then I have to look at myself in the mirror and like, whoa, 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 whoa what are you doing? Are you know, making sure that you're staying on top of these, this new information that, it can, that is helpful for positive change? Thank you for that. I, I feel like that's been, a, that's been a huge thing. A couple quick things I want to cover before we're done is I know you've got professional drummers that are coming to you and uh, you're not liberty to, to say you've got a, a great drummer uh, with a band. Uh, you, you, you posted something about a band, I think, uh, Villavant. Yeah. Is uh, going out and there. There's uh, one of the supporting bands for the band uh, Big Wreck, which yeah. I'm a huge fan of. I think Big Wreck is amazing. So I can imagine these guys, uh, you know, are are amazing as well to be able to support this group. So maybe not him specifically, but can you speak to some of the things that these drummers are coming to you with? Yeah, there's kind of two there's two extremes right now. Um, one is people who've got like medical issues that are outside, like they didn't get injured playing the drums, they got big problems that are influencing, that is influencing their drumming, and they just want to keep playing. And that's been a very interesting thing because that's like literally my world, right? That's just what I do day to day. So that's been no step outside of the norm. But to be honest, the other, um, like there's a handful where, there's one in particular who I can't name, but superstar, big level, big as you can possibly imagine. Um, and he's had so many drum techs suggest things because he was a young superstar years ago and move like the chair and they tried crazy cage setups in the 90s and 2000s that was popular and really everything under the sun that has been like a cool new progressive way to work on drum setups this person has tried and as such has like a major fracture in their back right they've got something called the spondylolisthesis which is where back of the spine actually detaches from the front of the spine a little bit and it's a very it's a terrible but common not an uncommon thing okay. and it's all because the ergonomics of the situation that they were dealing with playing mega long shows uh didn't work well for them and there's several instances like that yeah. i think a lot of drummers who are really successful i shouldn't say all but many are so good at a young age that they're just always right that that book outliers right they're just like given really all the opportunities because they're good, they're good. And then some there's one that are not and then they just make it. But there's people who work so hard, they figure out what works for them and they're artists and they're, they're very instinctive and they feel good and they don't necessarily hyperanalyze as why would they, how high they're sitting or where they're performing. They're just to play the art and they're gonna play that three hour show with this superstar pop star and be good. Yeah. 
It's just not like that though. I mean, it's just like you said with the smoking thing and the Wendy's cheeseburger. I think that there, you're now seeing many drummers who are stopping and having to stop playing the drums at the age of 50. Yeah. Right? There's, there was way more than there are now. And the only reason why they did that was because they didn't prepare or learn enough about the things they were doing to make sure that they could keep playing. Mm -hmm. And the more we can learn about this crazy vessel, this human mechanical system, this biomotor configurized thing, the more we can keep going. But that's really it is a lot of, a lot of it's general education. I'm doing a lot of zoom consults. I got like two or three lines. That's why I want to make the website to be honest. And it's not even because I want to make a membership thing. It's just so many people are inquiring and I'm expensive for my time for what I do in person. I can't, I can't help everybody. I don't even have the time to. So I want to make sure that those resources are available at a low cost. But well, anyway, this, this is a great transition to the to the end of this is because I'm I'm in that camp. That is, this is part of my journey. Not only is it to practice and work on things and have my books and have my things in between gigs or whatever, but it's like again the time that I spend at the gym. It's like what am I what do I need to do so I can get through this week of playing gigs and and playing at the best I can at my age and whatever as long as I want to and as long as I can. So I'm in Nashville. I'm in I'm in Tennessee. I'm in the states. You're in Toronto. Like if somebody wants to consult with you, have a Zoom call. Is there anything more they need to know besides a link? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I'll tell you what. I'm open to chatting with anybody. Uh, I will say that if someone has a general, they want to learn about ergonomics, I'm happy to share things. But I would say I'm trying to share all of the general information I can through Instagram. So if if I if you have a question look through my Instagram page and YouTube and see if you can't find the information there. And if someone wants to do lunch, to you're not finding what you're looking for. You want something more specific, hit me up. That's great. And, and I can say for the record yesterday, I've done that before, but yesterday I just sat there with my headphones and scrolled through your Instagram and, and, and that was going to be my workout from this one, <laughs> one to this one. And you know, it within that time frame. I've, I've never really done that in full. It's like, well, I'm just setting this day aside, my workout today to do the Brandon green workout with the things that I <laughs> let's go, man. Uh, I know, but it, it needs to be a little bit more detailed and, uh, you'll be definitely hearing from me, uh, you know, with respects to my personal journey, but for now, uh, this is a part of that journey is uh, exposing this information through this platform. Again, check out Drum Candy and Drum History uh, with my buddies that you were on. Thank you so much for your time. I'm excited about the future of your website, the podcast, all this other information. I will be front of the line uh, digging into it. And I just can't thank you enough for this, man. Well, Matt, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for hosting this and anyone that's listening. Um, I mean, you can tell I'm a mega nerd and I kind of go a little deep with the stuff. But at the end of the day, life is pretty short. Our careers are pretty short. The things we love to do are pretty short. And I spend my days with people who are near the end of their days struggling with problems and they're not drummers. And they all wish they did things decades ago to feel stronger and feel better now. So on a much lighter note, you are young, healthy, awesome people. You can do more to get more out of your drum set. You can do more to keep playing forever. I think stronger drummers play longer. I think stronger drummers live longer. And I really want all of you to have all the tools that you need to do that. So Matt, thank you so much for this. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Brandon. I'll be in touch. It's so good to meet you and keep in touch and I'll do the same. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Ben. Bye-bye. So there you have it, my conversation with Brandon Green and Drum Mechanics. As he mentioned, if you have any questions and want to reach out to him, he has made himself available and I encourage you to do so. 
Stay tuned next week where Zach Albetta will be the host. It's possible that Adam Deitch will be the guest next week. If not next week, it will be the next episode that Zach will be on. We've got some great guests coming up, and I encourage you to stay tuned for that. But for now, thanks so much for listening. Stay safe and hope to see you around. Bye-bye.